Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Welcome everyone. It's great to be joining you wherever you're at today, uh, whether you're joining us live or catching up on, on later, later on during the week. Uh, man, we, we, we enjoy spending the, the day with you, worshiping with you, uh, just singing some songs and and asking the Lord to speak to us through his word. And so I believe that God has a powerful word he wants to speak to us today uh, of encouragement and, and conviction. Some, some words are full of encouragement, a little bit of conviction. Some, some other words are a lot of conviction, a little bit of encouragement. Uh, I hope this one is right in the middle somewhere, that it would encourage those who need encouragement, uh, that it would maybe convict those that need kind of a spiritual kick in the pants, that that, would, that sometimes is a, is a good thing. And so uh, we're going to jump into the message in a second. Before we do that, uh, I want to, you to do two things. I've been encouraging you to do the same two things every week, but before that we speak, and, and really hopefully right when you get on, do me a favor and share, share our service wherever you're watching. Invite somebody. Uh, practice one of our core values. We are contributors. We're not consumers. It's really hard right now to do that because right now your main job is to turn on your computer uh, and kind of sit in your, your PJs or wherever you're at and just kind of watch. Uh, and so how you can contribute a few ways is, is you can share, you can, you can call somebody, you can text somebody, you can invite somebody, you can do that live, you can do that a little bit later on. You can continue to be the hands and feet. That way you can also continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus by continuing to be faithful, by bringing your first 10% back to God. It's the best part of your finances, back to God. And the Bible says when you trust him in this area of your life, that he will flood open the gates of heaven, that he will pour open the gates of heaven, that I have taught you for years and we practice this as a church, even right now during this pandemic, that we will live our life with an open hand. And if we live our life with an open hand, not just in our finances, in our time, in our talent, every area of our life that we will live under an open heaven. We believe that, we see that, and I wanna encourage you to continue to step out in that. You know, the Bible talks about the promises of God. Uh, the only promise of God that is there for us that really has nothing to do with us is his love. He has promised to love us. All of his other promises are contingent on, on our response. And so he promises to be faithful to us in our finances when we're first faithful back to him and we trust him. And so that's what we do right now. And so I'm going to pray for our offering. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that wherever you're at, that the spirit of the Lord uh, will begin to speak to you. Uh, as we get ready to go into the message and you give, uh, do me a favor, get a notebook, open up your Bible app, and let's get ready to jump into today's message. Would, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. Thank you for what you've already began to do. Thank you uh, for the worship that we were led into today, for the, the powerful time that we've had. And Lord, I know sometimes it might not feel the same uh, when we're not in the room live. We might be missing that, that element where we come together. And Lord, I, I know along with many of the people that I'm ready to get back to that, but there's still good. There's still, there's still um, something that happens in these moments, Lord, where we turn on our TV and we just worship you in our homes. We, we fill our homes with, with praise. We fill our homes with truth. Lord, there's encouragement that happens. Lord, there's strength that's being birthed. And Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, we pray for the offering that we're taking right now, that we would continue to trust you in our finances, even in the midst of this difficult time in our history, in our lives, in our families. Lord, that we will see the goodness and the, the faithfulness of the Lord. And we're grateful for that. I thank you for a church that's giving so that we can continue to be, to be giving to those outside of this church. Thank you for those that continue to support, not only through tithes, but above their tithes in the 245 fund so that we we can continue to meet needs uh, all over this region. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity. Uh, we believe that we're coming out of this pandemic stronger than we've ever been. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's jump in to week number five. This is the end of our sermon series we called House Party. Uh, we're going to start a new sermon series next week uh, called What to Do when, when Crap Hits the Fan. What do you do when, when life gets difficult? Uh, but today, I, I want to start with, uh, I want to end this series with a message that I've been kind of waiting to preach on, a story that I've been waiting to share. And instead of kind of, you know, giving you a big introduction, I just want to jump right into it. So we're going to jump into the book of Matthew chapter 
9. And we're going to read the story of Matthew, the writer, of his conversion, of his moment where Jesus gets his attention. I want to go right into the story, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. The Bible says, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew. This is Matthew writing about himself, right? Sitting at the tax collector's booth. So right away we know his job. He's a tax collector. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why is it that your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he spend so much time with people like them? On hearing this, Jesus said, one of his most famous lines in the Gospels, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous. I, I have come to this earth to call the sinners. And so Jesus, once again, has an interaction with the tax collector. We started this sermon series with Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. The Bible called him a chief tax collector. Now we're meeting another tax collector. And I, and I don't want to over-explain again why this is such a big deal, but tax collectors were kind of the scum of the earth. And so if you don't feel like a great person, if you feel like you have a past, if you feel like God can never use you, you'll find your truth, you'll find your story in the story of the tax collectors, because these were people that had been written off by society, and Jesus often saved them, called them, and used them. And the truth is, in these short few verses, there is an entire sermon series. Like, I, I started thinking, there is so many different ways that I could have taken this, series, this, this sermon. Like, one, uh, first, the first thing I noticed is Jesus changes his name. If you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that oftentimes Matthew is referred to Levi. If, if you read some more of the Gospels, you'll notice that Peter He's also referred to Simon. Jesus kind of changes his name to Peter because Peter represented rock. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on the rock. I'm going to build it around you. I'm going to use people like you. But he changes Levi's name to Matthew. Interestingly enough, Levi, that name in Hebrew meant joined and attached, right? And so he was attached and joined to his sin, to his sorrow, to his mistakes. Jesus changes him. He unattaches him from his past, and he begins to use his life, use his talents, use his gifts for the kingdom and the glory of God. And he changes his name to Matthew, and that word Matthew meant gift of or from God. So he becomes a gift to God in God's hands. In other words, you're not a gift to God because of what you bring to him. You're a gift of God because of what you mean to him. And I, I'm going to preach on that someday, but that's not where I felt the Lord leading me. I think it's interesting that Jesus went and ate at his home because to eat at somebody's home in that time meant that you accepted them, meant that you were a part of them, meant that you were family. This is why the Pharisees got mad when he ate with tax collectors and sinners. I, I thought, I love the quote that Jesus quoted. I mean, he dropped down liquid gold, right? I, I've come for the, the sick, not the healthy, right? I, I, I want to be that type of church. I don't want to be a, a country club for saints. I want to be a hospital for sinners, right? I want to be a place where people that don't normally feel comfortable at church, where they feel right at home from the moment that they get here. If you're listening to my voice and you've never been to church or you don't really tune into church, but something's happening in your spirit and you actually understand what's going on, that's by design. I want you to understand every word that comes forth from my mouth because I believe there's a God that loves you and wants to use your life. There is so many, many, many messages in this passage, but I want to focus on Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. I want to go back to it real fast. Watch what he says. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And then he says this famous line. He says, follow me. You should highlight that. It's the same thing he comes and asks every person in every situation, in every church since this time. He comes by your life. He has an interaction in your life. And at some point, Jesus will look at you in whatever situation that you're in and say, follow me and watch what the Bible says Matthew did. The Bible says immediately Matthew leaves his booth and he begins to follow Jesus. Now, this is really hard for us to understand because this is not typically the language we use in church. Like when we ask people to respond to the gospel, we don't typically say, follow him. We say stuff like this, believe in Jesus, or give your life to Jesus, or, or, or confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they're, they're not wrong words, but they're easy, easier for us to understand. But I think sometimes we miss the mark in those moments. I think when we tell people, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. Just believe that he's your Lord and your Savior. That's all that you got to do. I think it promotes something different than what Jesus calls us to. 
You'll you see what he says. He doesn't say, do you believe in me? Do you like the way I look? Do you like my teaching? He looks at him and he says, hey, if you're, you're coming, let's go. Follow me. It's really hard for us to understand that phrase. I started thinking about life in general. Like, think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm 40 now, so I've been dated for, for many, many years. I've been married almost 20 years, dated a few years before that. And so think about the terms we used to use for relationships in our culture. Like some of you can go really far back. And if, if you were to use a term to describe a serious relationship, like years ago, they would say, we're, we're courting, right? Or, or, or maybe I, I heard in a couple older movies, we're going steady. We're going steady. At my, my, at my, my, when I was growing up, it was we're seeing each other. Or if it's hot and heavy, what do you say? We're going out. I remember 13 years old. I had my first girlfriend. We were going out. What did that mean? I don't know. We never went anywhere. We just talked on the phone. We had a landline. It was hooked to the, to the, to the wall. It can only stretch it about 20 feet, right? But we were going out. And then when you broke up, you say stuff like we grew apart. We parted ways. It went south, right? Or we broke up. Or in my day and age, we say we got dumped. I got, I got dumped. So I'm going out and I got dumped. In our day and age now, like I'm, I'm not dating, there's all sorts of terms that, that younger people are using that if you're older, you would go, what, is, what does that mean? Like there's this term I've read this week called benching, and it's when you're dating somebody, but you find somebody else better that you want to date. You call them into the game, and you bench that other person, and so you, 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 get, you, get, you get benched. There's another t- definition or term that young people are using called breadcrumbing. And it's when you just lead somebody on. You don't really know where you're going, but you just, you just lead somebody on. My, my, my young staff taught me a phrase this, 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 this uh, winter called cuffing. And cuffing is in the winter when you're lonely and you don't have much to do. You get together with somebody, somebody else. It's called cuffing. And then uncuffing is when summer comes and it's hot and there's lots of things to do. You, you, you separate. You don't want to be handcuffed to, to somebody. I, I read one thing. It's called a date view, right? It's when somebody on your first date gets really, really serious with you and they ask you really, really serious questions. It's almost like they're interviewing how many kids you want to have. Where do you want to live? What job do you want to have? So you've been on a date view at that that point. DTR, thought it was dirty. It just meant to find the relationship. Like in our day and age, we don't know. My day and age, you were going out or you were dumped. In this day and age, you can define the relationship however you want. My favorite one term was ghosting, right? Ghosting. Ghosting just means the person that you were dating, all of a sudden you stop talking to them, they drop off the face of the earth and you never talk to them again. So stuff continues to change. By the way, I've been introduced to many new, new, new terms. A few months ago, my, my, my son, he called me Boomer. He goes, all right, Boomer. I'm like, what does Boomer mean? I was like, he was like, I don't know, but kids say it at school. So I Googled Boomer and I was like, if you ever call me Boomer again, once, once, first of all, I'm 40, I am not a Boomer. And second of all, I'm going to whoop your butt if you ever disrespect me like that again. But there's things Things that we say that we don't fully understand. And because this is a couple thousand years ago, when Jesus says, follow me, I think oftentimes that gets lost in translation. So let me explain to you a little bit of the culture. Uh, Jewish boys, before the age of five, would all memorize the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the Torah. They, they would memorize. So if you're, if you're a Bible person, the first five books of your Bible, by the age of five, I mean, think about it. My sons, I, can, I cannot imagine them by the age of five you know, memorizing that much of scripture, right? Like we, we give kids a lollipop when they, when they memorize, you know, God is good or good job. And it's an ad lib of a Bible verse. These Jewish boys memorized the first five chapters. The ones that were were promising, the ones that had uh, what they would call the it factor, from the age of about five uh, to 12, they would continue to, to learn. They would continue to, to pursue their education. Some of them would drop off the face of the earth. They'd be like, okay, you can hardly memorize Genesis. You're not good enough, right? But some of them, they had promise. Some of them would continue to memorize scripture, and they had promise. And then from the ages 12 to 17, the best of those best would begin to be trained in memorization of almost the whole Old Testament, not only memorizing it, but beginning to understand how to apply it and interpret it. And so the best of the best. By this time, most Jewish boys were back to doing normal work. Most of them were back to carpentry or fishing as Peter was. Or Matthew, he he had a dishonest occupation of being a tax collector. Between the ages of 17 and 20, the best of the best of the best 
would oftentimes uh, approach a, a rabbi, and there was all sorts of different rabbis. Rabbis were simply religious men who had certain interpretations of scripture and schooling, and you would find a rabbi if you were the best of the best, and you would approach them, and you would basically say, here's my credentials, can I follow you? And if the rabbi chose you, it was like you were on the varsity team. It was like you made the play. You were, you were a part of it, right? You ever been there where they would put, your, put the names up on a list somewhere and you would look for your name? I made the team. So the best of the best. And so most, most, most theologians believe most of the disciples are between the ages of 17 and 20. So clearly none of them have made it past that age five where the world saw much in them. They were just normal men living normal lives, working normal jobs. Matthew was working a dishonest job. Uh, his family would have been disappointed in him. His family would have kind of hated him. His, his friends were probably disgusted by him. His countrymen would despise him. Like this is the life he was living somewhere between the ages of 17 and 20. By the way, he's ultra talented in other things, right? Because just because the world says you're not good enough at certain things doesn't mean the Lord can't use you. Because if you read the book of Matthew, you quickly realize here's why Jesus wanted him. He was amazing at Keep, at keeping dates and, and names and data. He had this amazing brain that once God got a hold of it, Jesus could use it for good. And here he is, and nobody is ever going to choose him. Nobody wants him. And Jesus walks by, and he does what no other rabbi does. Usually you approach a rabbi and you say, am I good enough? And this rabbi approaches a man who would have believed for a long time that he is not good enough. And he looks at him just like he does Peter and just like he does John. And what does he say to him? He says, follow me. He says, I'm going to pick you. I want you to come learn from me. When, when, when a rabbi says, follow me, what they, what they meant and what they told you with those words is, I think you can come do what I'm about to do. And interestingly enough, the Bible says that Jesus said later on that the same power that is going to be in me, that's going to lead me to conquer the grave, that eventually that's going to live in, and rule and guide you, that you can do what I'm about to do through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. You can see it. I see it in you follow, follow me. And so I want to talk about this statement because I think so many times we do a bad job with people. Like I, even myself, like there's times I'll be like, you should believe in Jesus. What does that mean? What does it look like to believe in Jesus? I came to church and I raised my hand and, you know, I'm, I believed in Jesus. Or I went to a class one day when I, when, when I was a kid and now I'm this faith or my parents grew up in this faith. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How significant is it to follow Jesus? I, I want to take you into another story in scripture in Luke chapter 14. I want to show you the difference. There's a difference, right? Because I think a lot of us are not following Jesus. A lot of us are what I would call traveling with Jesus. Watch what the Bible says in Luke 14. It says large crowds. What are they doing? Are they following Jesus? No, no. They're traveling with Jesus, the Bible says. And he turns to them. And here's how I know that he's irritated. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, child, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciples. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, there's too many people I know that travel with Jesus and not enough people follow him. There's too many people, I want to explain this to you, that travel with, what's the difference? Well, let me, let me explain. I'm about in two weeks, two and a half weeks to drive to Oklahoma. We do it once a year. We get in our car. Sunday's over. Get in our car. Head on the turnpike. Drive six hours through Pennsylvania, through Ohio, a little bit of Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Oklahoma, or somewhere, somewhere like that. That's how our trip goes. 21-hour trip. And we are about to drive there. And, and, and listen, I'm going to do most of the work. I'm going to do all the work, probably, me and my wife. My kids are not going to drive. They're not old enough. And my kids are going to be like, at some point, they're going to be like, we're leaving. And they kind of complain. It's such a long trip. And can't we do this? And can't we just fly? And all of these things. And meanwhile, uh, we bought a Suburban a few years ago because we know we take these trips. And so now they're spread out and they have room. And you know, we used to have a little tiny cross tour. And so they kind of just sat across the back for 21 hours. And we felt bad. So we need to get a, we'll get a big SUV. It'll make the trip easier because we're going to do this, but they, they travel. They, they, they're not doing any work. What's traveling? You sit, you, you, somebody leads you, you arrive at your destination. There's not much work. There's not much effort. You know, I stop, they get out, I pay for the food, they get back in. They might act tired when we get there, but they literally haven't done anything. And I started thinking, there's a lot of follow, or people that claim to follow Jesus Christ, but the truth is, you're traveling with them. There's not a lot of effort. You're, you're, you're not really that close. You're just along for the ride. You ever, you ever gone on a road trip with multiple people? 
and you have to follow somebody else and wherever they turn and wherever they get off and however fast they go, your job is to keep up with them. Your job is to stay in step with them. Your job is to exit when they say exit. Your job is to get back on when they say get back on and you're following. You see, there's a difference. You're on the trip, but, but the work is on you as well. You're following with them instead of traveling. A lot of people that I know, they tend to travel with Jesus instead of following with Jesus. And you have to understand, it's not a choice to you. It's not like you're like, well, you know, I, I, want, I, want, I, want, I just want to follow, I just want to travel. I just want to kind of be with Jesus, but I don't really want to follow Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to break down what it means to actually follow Jesus because there's not any other way. There's no way around it. This is the way that it is. I don't know if, you, if you've been watching The Last Dance, if you're a basketball fan. Uh, but I always find that it's interesting to peek inside the mind of somebody who was so good at their craft. Like Michael Jordan, best basketball player ever. I mean, it just, it, to me, I, I like to look inside and see how he got to that point because it's more than talent. And, and so the la- last week you had this episode where Michael Jordan was coming off of retirement from, from basketball, playing baseball, and coming back to the NBA. And I love, I love he gets back to the, to the practice. And so if you watch the Bulls and you know the story, he comes back. The Bulls have had a year without him. They were decent. And then the second year, they were kind of mediocre, right around 500 basketball, which means they won as much as they lost. They lost as much as they won. Michael Jordan comes back for the last 16 games of the year, and they end up making the playoffs and losing to the, to the Orlando Magic. And I remember as a kid uh, the picture of Michael Jordan losing, and I was like, I can't believe that he, he can lose. Like, I just never, never saw that in my life. Like, I didn't understand it because by the time that I started liking basketball, he just always won. And so he, the, the day that he, they, he gets back, he loses. It's time, time to go to the offseason. He calls up his trainer. He says, I'm, going, I'm training now. I got to get my body ready. And the first day of the next year's training camp, he comes in. And the story is that he literally sets the tone. And here's what he said. He said, a lot of the players that were on the Bulls uh, now, we're not on the Bulls in, in, in 91, 92, 93 when we won the three championships in a row. They weren't part of that. So they came into this culture that was full of winning, but they've never had to actually win. So they I don't know how to win. And so I came in and I set the tone. I said, this is what it looks like to be a bull. This is what it takes to win championships. And if you don't want to be on this team, leave. And I love that mentality because that's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's not saying, hey, think about it. Hey, hey, if it fits your, your plan, if it fits where you want to do with your life, if it fits, in, fits into your dreams, he says, I'm moving. You have a chance to come with me. I'm confident in what I'm calling you to, but you got to follow me. He doesn't say, when you're ready, Take your time. Go back and, you know, pay your bills. Get somewhere to put your money. He says, leave it all and let's go. And I think that there is an understanding that to follow Jesus in the moment, you have to forsake other things. And I want to show you that. To follow Jesus, you always have to give something up. It happens in every relationship that's meaningful at all. If you've ever been to a wedding, what does the pastor say to, 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 when they're doing the vows? He says, will you forsake all others and stay faithful to this person? That's in the vows. You know, maybe worded a little bit different. Will you give up every other relationship so that you can stay faithful? Could you imagine in that, in that, in that wedding vow, if the groom or the bride was like, nah. Like, I'm still going to keep my little black book or, you know, and our, that was in my day and age. I'm not, I'm going to keep my phone with all my old contacts and, you know, no, you're going to define that. We're going to define the relationship in that moment. DTR, what is it? I'm going to give up every other relationship so that I can stay faithful to this. Same principle. And so in essence, what I'm asking you to do, if I can use that term DTR with Jesus, I'm asking you to define your relationship with Jesus today. Because there's only one, t- one type of relationship you can have with him. There's not a traveling relationship. That's why he was doing that in that crowd, by the way. That's why he was saying, listen, too many of you are just here for the, for the, for the show. You're just here for the fish. You're just here to watch me do, do things. Like, I need you to follow me if we're going to change this world. And so let me give you three areas in your life that you'll have to forsake to follow Jesus, no questions asked. He's not apologizing. He's not telling you to think about it. These are three areas. Number one. First one, you have to forsake sin to follow Jesus. You'll have to forsake sin to follow Jesus. I want you to think about Matthew's life. Is he a sinner? Absolutely, we all are. Uh, but you can see his sin. Let, let me explain to you. What is he? He's, he's a thief. He, he, he's greedy. He, he's a liar. 
Uh, he, he, he's, he's burned every relationship. He's probably full of bitterness. He's probably angry. I mean, he is full. Of, we, we can look at him and we can put him on, in, in front of us. We can say, here's a list of all uh, of his sins. Maybe it's harder for you to do that with yourself, but with Matthew, here's a list of all the areas of his, of his sin. Does Jesus come to him and say, hey, just give me one or two things. Just give up anger and just give up you know, a couple money. No, no. He says, follow me. We're leaving, but for you to follow me, you're going to have to turn away from that tax collector's booth. You're going to have to leave that career. You're going to have to say no to those desires. Listen, in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to forsake sin. Watch what the Bible says in Acts chapter 3. It says, repent then and turn your life to God. Turn your life to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, he talks about this, 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 this issue, this, this word in, in the Bible called repentance. And repentance simply means, it says it right there, to turn your life, turn away from sin and turn your life to Jesus. I once heard a pastor say, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. Now, it does not mean to follow Jesus that you will never, ever mess up and you will never fall short. The Bible says all of us fall short of the glory of God. What it does mean is sin will not be allowed to live in your life with something happening, with con without conviction happening, without the desire to turn away, without it keeping you up at night, without it driving you crazy. You see, I found too many church people in my life that somehow are able to sit in the presence of God and claim with their mouth that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they are following, right? Because believing is not what, it, what he's talking about, that they are following Jesus Christ, yet they are sitting in the filth of their unrepentant sin still. I'm not talking about, oh, I didn't know this was wrong. I'm talking about people who go, I'm a follower of Christ, but I still sleep with my boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm a follower of Christ, but I still get drunk on the weekends. I'm a follower of Christ, but I still lie sometimes. I'm a follower of of Jesus Christ, but I still enjoy a good gossip. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I still lust, and I still watch pornography, and I still watch nudity on TV. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but these things happen. You see, you either kill sin or sin kills you, and this is a no-compromise area of your life. Either you're moving forward or you're moving backward. Man, years ago, uh, a few years ago, I went paintballing. I haven't been paintballing for many years, but I was, a, I was a youth pastor, and so I had done paintballing a few times, and somebody invited me, and I went, and I got there, and I, I was super intimidated, and the reason I was intimidated is there was dudes there dressed in full camo gear, like you need pads on, and, 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 and just you could tell they were into paintball. Like you can tell from people's gear who plays paintball, who doesn't play paintball. Not to mention that I am not a shooter, I'm not an outdoorsman, I don't do this. And so I played with junior high kids when I was in my mid-20s, and I dominated them because they were 12 and 13 years old. And now there's grown men, and they're getting all strapped up and ready to go. I was scared. Like, I was intimidated. The first time I went out, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to hide behind this, this tree, and I'm just going to stay here, and I'm going to get my composure, and then I'm going to come out slowly, and I'm going to try to pop a few people, right? As soon as it starts, you just hear pop, 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 all these bullets flying. You can't even move. Pop, 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 pop. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to play it safe, and I'm hiding behind this tree, and I'm like, maybe if I just sit here for a long enough time, everybody will kill themselves, and I'll come out, and I'll be like, yeah, I killed everybody, right? Right? Like I play like that. And, and little did I know, my head was kind of up in, in somebody's view, like my, my little, my shield, where I'm hiding and I can't see, but somebody can see me. All these bullets are going and slowly this person had me in, in their view. And I came up real slow, even a little bit slower, a little bit slower, a little bit slower. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to calculate and I'm going to fire. And I come up real slow. And I'm not kidding, about three inches into popping my head, boom, right in my head. And I got shot, first one out. First, never even fired a bullet, never got to shoot anything, never shot a tire, never shot a tree, never shot. In fact, when I was walking out, I shot the ground just to make sure my gun was still working. And I just remember thinking in that moment, from this point on, in this game that we're playing, I'm going out. If I get killed, I don't care. I'm going out shooting. I'm not sitting behind a tree, hanging out, waiting for something to, something, something to kill me. And a lot of you have taken that spiritual position in your life. Where you're just waiting. There's sin that you're just swimming in. There's sin that you're just holding on to. And I can promise you, there is no compromise in this area. Either you're going forward or backward. Either you're all in for Jesus or whatever has a hold of you is taking you completely away from him. I want to show you how serious Jesus is with sin. Watch what he says in Matthew 5. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Gouge it out, throw it away. 
It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Watch what he says about your right hand. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus is, I don't think, is telling us to actually cut something off. What he's actually saying is, listen, this is how serious I want you to be with it. Whatever it takes to kill the sin in your life, do it. Don't mess with it. Eventually, it will take you completely out. And some of you are going, is it that big of a deal? Like, is it that big of a deal if I sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, if I claim to follow Christ? Is it that big of a deal if I still get drunk? It's just wine. It's just beer. It's just a martini. Is it that big of a deal if I gossip? Is it that big of a deal if I'm lying? Is it that big of a deal if I'm dishonest? Watch what 1 John 3 says, and this should be sobering to all of us. He says, no one who lives in him, what do they do? They don't keep on sinning. No one who is following Jesus Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or, or, or known him. Don't you think those guys figured it out quickly when they were close to Jesus? There are so many times that he would call them out based on not what they did, but what they were thinking. Like there's moments I bet they were like, what the heck? Jesus even knows what we're thinking. We're close to him. Like, like real disciples know you can't hide anything from him. You can't keep anything from him. If you're that close to him, he sees it. You want to get rid of it anyways. You want to do nothing but please him. And so you're going to have to forsake forsake sin. Let me give you number two. Number two, uh, you're going to have to forsake self to follow Jesus. You're going to have to forsake self to, to follow Jesus. There's this popular thing that, that some people will say, let's say, let's say this, they'll say uh, in marriage, they'll say, I'm just losing. I just feel like I lost myself. I got into this relationship and and we got married and, you know, kind of all got connected and, and I lost myself. And I always laugh at that statement because I think that's what's supposed to happen in marriage. The Bible says that, that you and your spouse, you become one. When you get married, you leave your family and you cleave to each other and you become one person. And so in really healthy, godly marriages, you do lose yourself and they lose their self and you come together and you two together move forward like one. That, that's the best marriages. You might fight sometimes and get on each other's nerves and, and argue and have problems, but you're fighting together. You lose yourself. But sometimes people say, no, 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 I just lost myself and I need to keep myself. And here's what you need to understand about following Christ. You do lose yourself. You're not the boss anymore of your life. You're not, you're not in control. Like You're not the one that's guiding your life. You're not the one that's deciding what career you're going to take or what, where you're going to move or, or what you're going to do. There's so many times in my life I think to myself, I wonder if that Christian, if they actually asked the Lord if they should move, if they should go, go down south, if they should go live in this warmer place, if they should buy that, if they should take that job. Because the truth is when you follow Jesus, you have to forsake self. There's always you leaving something behind to follow him. That's what happens to Matthew. Matthew. The Bible doesn't ever say he went back to his tax collecting booth. He was done. He left everything. You don't think he had property. You don't think he had possessions. You don't think he had years and years and years of resources that were just sitting in that booth and in that home. And the Bible says he didn't go back. He just leaves it to follow Jesus. You will always have to leave something behind to follow him. Relationships, careers, way of lives, dreams, idols. There's going to be something that you're going to have to turn away from. Watch what Jesus says in Luke 9. He says, then, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, what do they got to do? They got to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let lose or forfeit their soul. When you follow Jesus, eventually you're going to have to forsake self. You're going to have to let go of your old plans, your old dream, your old way of life, and you're going to seek to live in step with Jesus, Jesus Christ. Or you can hold on to it. You can hold on to it, but it's not worth much. You see, think about life without Christ. It's here for a moment and it's gone. There's not a lot of impact. There's not a lot of purpose. In fact, uh, my, my, my one son, Lincoln, uh, in, in Harrison, they got in a fight a couple weeks ago over these fake jewels that Lincoln had gotten in this, this discovery set for Christmas. He had kept these jewels. He puts them in his, in his, his side dresser, his drawer, and, and Harrison had found them. They were fighting over these plastic jewels as if they were holding on to treasure. And finally, I lost my mind. I'm like, these are worth nothing. Like, I'll throw these away right now. You're fighting and you're holding on to nothing. And I think God would say the same thing. You're fighting and you're holding on to life without Christ. You're holding on to your dreams. You're holding on to your career. You're holding on to your passions. You're holding on to your idols. But if you open your hand, you'll realize they're worth nothing. They're worth nothing outside of Jesus Christ. And so you're going to have to forsake yourself. And number, number three, you're going to have to forsake saving to follow Jesus. You're going to have to forsake yourself, you're going to have to forsake sin, and you're going to have to forsake saving 
to follow Jesus. What does he say in Matthew 16? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, I think so many times in our lives, we're like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to, to my old way of life. I'm going I'm to keep, it's like when somebody breaks up with somebody, but you keep the number, right? Like, I'm going to keep the number just in case this doesn't, this doesn't work out. This, this doesn't happen. I'm going to make sure I have something to fall back on. And I think a lot of people do that in their walk with Christ. I mean, I, I, can, I, I could probably write out a book of names of people that I've met, met in my life that started the race for Jesus Christ and have not finished well. Like they just, and, and I think oftentimes the reason that they don't finish well is because they've given themselves a way out. And I, I have always told uh, those close to me, if you give yourself a way out of following Jesus Christ, eventually you won't follow Jesus Christ. Like it's, just, it's just the way that it is. It's like if you put Twinkies in your house and you're keto, eventually you're going to eat the Twinkies because you get tired of eating keto. If, if, if you have that number in your phone of that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend and you still give yourself away to reach out to them, eventually you'll get lonely and you'll reach out to them. This, this is what happens in our lives. When you give yourself a way out, you'll always take the, the way out. And so this is why for, 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 for Matthew and for those that followed Christ, they had to get rid of everything. They had to get, because it, it gets much harder. It doesn't get easier. Making a decision to follow Christ is one thing. Actually walking with him and following him and trusting him and obeying him and seeking him and trusting him some more and obeying him some more and being patient with him as he works things out. And when you don't get everything you want at the exact moment that you get it, but you have nowhere else to go. In fact, I love this one moment where Jesus comes to Peter and the disciples and he says, how about you? Are you, are you going to abandon me too? Because a bunch of his followers or his travelers had just abandoned him and Peter says in one of his most famous words I love it he says where else are we gonna go we've given up everything for you where else am I gonna go we've attached ourselves to you and eventually eventually you get to the point where you can't hold on to anything you have to let it all go you can't save it you can't say I'm gonna hold this for for for, for troubled times for moments when it gets too difficult just in case you ever been to an arcade I'm sure you have and uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I went to Chuck E. Cheese, places like that. You used real, real, real world coins. You remember that? You would get tokens, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. They would put them in a cup, and you would go to the machines, and you would put the tokens in, and you would win the tickets, and, and it was fun. But when your tokens were out, they, they were out. And so at a lot of new places, when you get Chuck E. Cheese, and we went to Arnold's a few months ago, they don't give you tokens anymore. They give you, they give you a card because they're trying to brainwash our kids into being in debt. And so it's much easier to get a card and spend what's on the card than it is because when you have tokens, you're like, okay, this, this costs six tokens. This game's clearly only worth three. I'm going to pass, right? How many tickets am I going to get? When it's a card, it's just slide it, charge it, charge it. We need to come back to my, to my I need some more on my card. So, so I explained to my boys a few months ago, we went, you know, here's a card, has this much on it. Once it's gone, it's gone. Like you can spend it on whatever you want. Once it's gone, it, it, it's gone. We actually... We did it one night a few months ago, and when it's gone, it's gone. And so uh, Carter and, and Lincoln are very different spenders. Like Carter is, is like he spends fast. He doesn't really take him a lot of time. He'd go in a store, pick something out. First store, get something. He probably gets that from me. Like he just, I'm just, I'm not a shopper. I just figure it out, buy it, right? Uh, and I, I'll spend money quick. I'm a spender. Uh, and, and Leah and Lincoln are more like where Leah will go shopping. It takes her a long time to pick out something. She wants to be sure it's the best, getting the best deal, all these things. So Lincoln's the same way. So we went in there and, you know, within a few moments, Carter's just sliding that card, getting getting tickets. Like, he, you know, all this stuff's happening. He's out of money really quickly. Lincoln takes a long time, slides it and to the point where we'll leave if, if, if I'm not careful. If I give them a certain amount of time, we'll leave and there will still be money on his card. There'll still be, you know, some, some, some money on that card to play games. But here's the problem with that. Like, I, I don't know that we're going back there anytime soon because going to an arcade with your kids is a little slice of hell. Like, it's just, it's loud. You're trying to keep them, you know, figure out where they're at. There's kids running everywhere. Ah, like, there's crying, you know, all this stuff. And so it's not a place that I want to frequent that much. And so if he leaves with that card, like, he might still have value on it, but it's only, it's only really valuable when you're at the arcade to play. And some of you, some of you are like Lincoln and not Carter because in that moment, I want to teach them to be savers and smart. But at an arcade, you have a certain amount of time, you can use it there, and when you don't, you, you, you lose it, it's over. 
And some of you are like Lincoln with your life. You're, you have this card. It has, has money on it or time on it or your life on it. And you're like, I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. But here's the thing. When your life ends, it's over. You spend it here or you lose it. And I, I, I want to encourage you. Spend your life on Jesus Christ. Spend your life serving him. Spend your life seeking to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't try to save it. Don't hold it back. Don't resist giving it all to him. You think Matthew regrets what he did? You think he regrets, regrets Jesus coming by and being like, man, he called me to follow him in the midst of my, my suffering and my sorrow and my pity and my disgust and all that stuff. And man, I wish I would have held out because I think I could have had a better career of being a task. No, no. He got to have a front row seat as the son of God came to this world and changed it forever. And then he got to do it. Think about it. If he would have just stayed in that tax collector's booth and kept charging money, he would have been rich for some years, but he would have forgotten. Yet now we're reading his words and we're talking about his life because he put his life in the hands of Jesus Christ. And some of you, you have to understand, for you to fully follow Jesus, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to stop trying to save whatever you're trying to hold on to. Because the truth is, it's only worth and it's only value is found in the hands of Jesus Christ. Your life is insignificant. Your life is fleeting. Your life is filled with, with a lack of purpose. Your life doesn't have a lot of meaning. It's not found in how much money that you're going to have because there's going to be somebody richer than you right after you die. Come along. It's not found in what you event or what you know abbreviation you have at the front of your name, a doctor, whatever you are. It's not found there. It is only found in serving Jesus Christ. It's only found in serving Jesus Christ. But to follow Jesus, there's always a forsaking. I got to forsake sin. What do, you, what do you do? You confess it. If you confess it with your mouth and you believe that Jesus can heal it and save it, you're set free. You bring it to light. I'm going to forsake self. I'm not going to choose myself. I'm not going to choose my own ways. I'm not going to choose my own desires. I'm going to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow him. And I'm not going to hold on to anything. I'm going to let it all go. I'm going to give it all up. I love the verse in Matthew 23 when Jesus replied. This is what he said. What should you do? Love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Give him everything. I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus has come by your life right now. He's not begging you. He's confident in where he's taking you. And he's asking you lovingly, would you follow me? You see, some of you, I would ask the question, uh, maybe you're a church person, but you know right now you don't follow Jesus Christ. You can play this game. I've been in church my whole life. You can play the game of following Jesus Christ. You can come to church and we open back up. You can sit here and comment. But listen, if you're in sin right now, if you're sleeping around, if you're getting drunk, if you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at and you claim to follow Jesus Christ, the Bible says the light of truth is not in you. That you can lie to yourself. You can, you, can, you can say, you're just judging me. No, no, I'm reading the word of God to you. That's what John says. That if you keep on sinning, that you don't know Jesus. Let me say, what am I supposed to do? Get on your knees and humbly confess that you are not who you claim to be right there in your room right there in your living room. I am not who I claim to be, and I need to get my life ready for Jesus Christ. I need, to, I need to get my life right. Others of you, you're not in Christ right now, and you've never had a chance to respond. And do you see the, 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 the response of Matthew? It's not, you know, this long process where Jesus brings Matthew, and he changed, you got to change your clothes right there. you got to change your hair. I don't like that hairstyle. You know, you got to memorize certain things and you got to take on certain dimensions and you got to stop talking like that because you talk like a tax collector and to follow me and represent me, you got to talk differently. No, no, Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow me, you'll begin to become like me. And when you become like me, you're useful to me. And when you're useful to me, you find purpose in me. And when you find purpose in me, we can change the world together. I'm not worried about fixing you all up right now. Come on, follow me. He comes to Peter. Peter's fishing. He smells, he smells like fish. He's all dirty. He's been fishing all night. What do you say? Come follow me. Don't go home and take a bath first. Don't go home and figure stuff out. Let's go. Let's follow me. Whatever situation that you're in, whatever you've done, whatever you shot into your arm right now, whatever you can't get over, whatever you struggled with for your entire life, Jesus has passed by your house. He says, follow me. And all you got to do is get up and follow him. When you put your life in his hands, he can change you. When you humble yourself before the Lord, the Bible says that he can lift you up. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'm not going to ask you to believe in Jesus today. Because I have found that that is not adequate 
and how Jesus asked. The writer of the book of James, he said, even the demons believe in Jesus. They know who Jesus is. Like belief is not, it's not the end game. You confess and you believe and you follow him. So I'm not going to ask you just to believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm going to ask. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And do you believe that he was put in a tomb? And do you believe? I'm going to ask you to believe in him to the point where you actually do something about it. Do you believe in him enough to, to open up your life, to let him in, to give him your sin? Do you believe in him enough to get rid of yourself, to fully follow him, for you to be lessened so that he can be made more? Do you believe in Jesus enough, enough to let go of, of who you are, to let go of what you've held on to, to let go of your dreams, to let go of whatever you're holding on to and fully follow Jesus Christ? See, there's only one way. He makes no apologies. He doesn't lessen the bar. He doesn't go, hey, your life has been difficult, man. Maybe you can just put your, put your little toe in and, and, and just test the water. He says, let's jump in. Let's go. Come follow me. And he's asking you, friend, the same thing. Some of you have been in church for a long time, but you do not follow Jesus Christ. If your life stopped right now, you can say, well, I live in the grace of God. But listen, you're a grace abuser. The grace of God changes you. I try to tell my kids that all that time. When you really understand the grace of your parent, when, when, when you get in trouble and, and I can hold you to this standard, but I give you grace and I take it upon myself, don't be an abuser of it. Let that grace change you. You see, grace changes you. It doesn't make you abuse it. It doesn't go, it's not a big deal. You see Jesus on the cross and you understand what you did to him to put him there. And you understand how much love it took for him to die for you. And you want to do everything you can to please and honor him. Some of you are grace abusers. And you need to humble yourself before Jesus Christ and say, I am not who that I said I was. I am not where I'm supposed to be. And I thank Jesus that his mercy, don't you, his mercy is new every morning. His faithfulness never runs out on you. And he continues to knock at the door of your life. But do not abuse his grace. And others of you, you don't even deserve to be asked today. He is passing your proverbial tax collector's booth. He's passing your life of sin. And he looks at you and he says, hey, I choose you. I choose you. I want a relationship with you. Come and follow me. Give everything up and come be my disciple. Come, come be my child. Come be in my family. I choose you. Some of you, you're not a church person at all, but you've been in control of your own life and it has gotten you nowhere. Your life is broken. It's in, it's in, it's in pieces. Your relationships are a mess. You, you're all drugged up on stuff. You can't sleep at night. You have anxiety and fear and worry. You've quickly realized in the, in the, in the scope of what we're going through in our world that we are not in control, that we, we, we need something outside of ourselves. And you have been searching. You have been stressed. You have been worried. The Bible says that God becomes an ever-present help in a time of need, that God will take you through even the darkest valleys, that God will lead you if you will let him. But you, if you let him, but you got to let him. You can't travel with him. You got to follow him. Give him your entire life. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, but take it further than, further than that. Give up everything you're supposed to give up. Say yes to Jesus Christ and go all in for him today. Go all in for him today. And so I want to pray with you as we close all over our houses. Maybe if that's you, as we begin to pray, uh, you, you just begin to say, hey, that's me. Uh, and as I pray, you just let us know any, whatever social media uh, platform you're watching, church online, YouTube, Facebook, even on our app right there, that you would just say, hey, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need, I need to get right with Jesus. I'm not following him right now. I don't want to play any more games. I need to put my life, the weight of everything I am, at the foot of his cross. And as we pray, you just begin to let us know, hey, that's me. You can respond. They're going to bring up the easy way to, to do that. Hey, that's me. We're going to pray with you. We'd love to connect with you any way that we can to encourage you because we believe God wants to do something right now. We believe the Spirit of God. If you were here at church, I would say, everybody pray. All the Christians right now pray. So everybody, everywhere you're at, put down your pen, put down your cereal, put down your food, put down everything. And why don't you just close your eyes. Why don't you bow your heads? Maybe even if you're comfortable, why don't you turn on your couch and just take a, a posture of humility before the presence of the Lord and let's just beg God to do something. Let's just beg God. Listen, without God continuing to move this way, church online gets really old. It's just us entertaining you for an hour. But I believe the spirit of the Lord is beginning to move. He's beginning to speak. He's beginning to reach people. And so why don't you beg God to do what only he could do? And he would take what I've just said, 
way beyond the root, the four walls at the, at the, at the Franklin Commons at, in Phoenixville, that he would speak into everyone's home, in cars, wherever people are at, wherever they're going to be at later on during the week at work, and he would speak right into their home right now, and he would change them. And if you need to respond, just let us know right now as I begin to pray. Come on, church, let's pray boldly with courage before Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word that it never returns void. Lord, I thank you, Father, that your word has been proclaimed and it has been spoken. And Lord, the, we've tried to speak it with courage and conviction. But Lord, beyond the word that was spoken from a man, Lord, the spirit of God is moving right now. Lord, you've taken the word and the Bible says it will never return void. And so it's been spoken forth into homes, in, in, into jobs, Lord, wherever people are at right now. Maybe they're listening as they're commuting to work. And Lord, right there, wherever they're at, they're saying, you know what? I don't follow you. My life is not in your hands, but I want to. I want to follow you. I want, I, want your re, I want a relationship with you. I want, I want to be passionate about you. Jesus, forgive my sins. Take every part of me. Whatever you want, it's yours. I'm going to follow you all the rest of the days of my life. And Lord, this is not just a prayer, but this is a moment that changes every other moment. It's an action-oriented prayer, Lord, that we're not just saying something, Lord, but we're going to become something. Lord, our lives are going to change. Our families are going to change. Our decisions are changing. Our mind is being made new. Our heart is whole again. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to encourage and strengthen us as a church. Lord, that we're going through this together. We're coming out the other end of this stronger. Lord, we look forward to the day when we get to worship together in one roof. But until then, we give you our best worship and we'll give you our highest praise wherever that you place us, Lord, whether it's in our homes, whether we're, wherever we're at, we're going to lift our hands. We're going to give you the glory. We thank you for being in control. We thank you for being faithful. We thank you for setting people free. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hey, church, as loud as you can all over your houses, would you shout amen with me? Amen, men. It is great to be with you. Hey, do me a favor. If you responded to the gospel, continue to let us know. There's going to be moderators on all our social media platforms. We would love to connect with you. If you're a first-time guest today with us, you've never tuned into Journey Church, we'd love to connect with you, let you know different ways to get involved and connected as we move towards opening back up. Maybe you're not from the area. We would love to get you connected with the church local to you so that when church starts up again, you have the opportunity to join a community of faith and make an impact in your world and your community. We love you guys. We're looking forward to seeing you. We'll see you all during the week online. You guys have a great Sunday. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.